stats, booms, busts, sleepers. Listen to Adam and Vincent with Fantasy Pandemic on Monday and Thursday evenings via Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow them on Twitter at Fantasy Pandemic, at Fantasy Cajun, and at FF Little Finger. Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Pandemic Podcast. I am your host, the Fantasy Cajun himself, Adam Bryce, along with my co-host, Mr. FF Littlefinger. Tonight, we are going to resume our draft talk. We're going to kick it off to the L.A. Chargers tonight. But first, you know, Vincent, uh, I got a text from a friend of mine today, and it basically stated, man, I'm going to know all y'all's ins and outs and shortcuts and tricks uh, come draft season this, this season, baby. And I just kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, that's the point, man. Yeah, and then I turned around and immediately screenshot a text from another guy that I'm friends with that both of these guys were in different leagues with, and he's saying the same thing. Hey, I'm loving the podcast. Can't wait to use all your secrets against you. And you know when it's all said and done, Adam? We're in three leagues together. Who owns all three championships? Yeah, that would be us. We do. So you're welcome. We're trying to make it fucking even for you guys. I had, we, we are literally doing work and trying to vomit information into the world to give the rest of you fucking delinquents a chance. P.S. Fuck James. That's what I'm talking about, baby. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Let's come, come get it. Kiss the ring, bitches. Kiss the ring. <laughs> hey, my trophy's sitting in my office right behind me. I made sure to take a picture of it with it and uh, send it to my uh, league mates in the uh, group me chat. So I'm sure they enjoyed that very much. Yep, yeah, I did because I that's the one I don't have. So I enjoyed it thoroughly. So as the rest of the delinquents, I am gunning for it as well. Well, that, that's a trophy that you need to get to. I I have won your league already. So that is, that is correct. Yeah, and I was third last year, so I feel pretty good in that league. But, hey, fantasy football, let's get talking. Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert, eh, I feel like it's going to be a bust. I just don't think uh, Justin Herbert has what it takes in the NFL to be successful uh, in this day and age in, in, in the NFL. He's, you know, he's got intangibles, and he's got, you know, these, you know, great long legs, and he can run fast, and, you know, he's he's got a great arm. But in the end of the day, he comes from Oregon. He was very inaccurate as a passer. Um, I think I saw a stat on Twitter a few days ago where um, for passes that were thrown to open receivers, he missed those receivers 18% of the time, whereas compared to someone like Joe Burrow, missed those receivers 4% of the time. So I think, you know, a couple of things like that, Anthony Lynn kind of getting desperate, you know. I know Tyrod Taylor is going to start out the season, but I would expect Justin Herbert to come play at some point, um, probably around week seven, week eight, when Tyrod's probably, you know, three and three or two and four at that point, And they're, you know, borderline out the playoffs. Uh, they also addressed backup running back. And I heard a direct quote from a uh, Chargers personnel that they said, Joshua Kelly running back out of UCLA. He's kind of like our Melvin Gordon replacement. Um, if that is the case, that would kind of bring Austin Eckler down uh, a notch. And that would concern me if I was an Austin Eckler owner to hear something like that. Well, I, so I'm a big Eckler guy, not that I have any shares of him yet, but I don't, I think that there's going to be a guy that's going to have guaranteed, dedicated, true, like number one, a running back touches. And that's going to be Eckler. And I think it's going to be Kelly and Justin Jackson fighting for that other spot, because Mm -hmm. I think 
regardless of what Kelly is, I don't think anybody's accusing him of being Melvin Gordon. Whatever Melvin Gordon was or was not, like he is a ball player and can do everything. And I don't think immediately Kelly's going to be that. And ultimately, I don't think Kelly's going to be that. I think he's going to be very serviceable. I uh, think he has some, I don't know, a little higher floor potential. And maybe if Eckler goes down, there could be some upside if all the you know stars align. But I think when they go, to, especially to Herbert, Eckler and the receivers and Henry are going to keep the offense moving and keep it functional. If for some reason Eckler goes down, Kelly is – I don't care if he's the number one. He's not going to be usable because, you know, I don't – I agree with you that Herbert is not the – direction the nfl is going and it's funny in a copycat league it's like it's almost like you look at different franchises are going okay we want the mobile or semi-mobile as burrow like somebody that can get out of the pocket somebody can make some plays somebody can do things and then there's also these other teams that are you know and some of the teams that have won recently like you know what defense and run of the ball is the philosophy that you know is best for what we have or best for our coaching staff so there's like a, a very polar divide right now happening in the league but i don't know how the combination of Kelly and Herbert is going to work out. So I, uh, I hope Herbert works out for fantasy purposes and football purposes. I agree with you that I think that, you know, we, we said it before, I think two was in a tier and then Herbert's in the next one. And I personally would have thought, I think Hertz would be better fit here. I think he would have been a better player that is the direction the league is going and would be better for the personnel that they have. And even the coaching staff, I mean, the type of coach that, um, and philosophy that seem like they have it just it, it just it, it doesn't seem like a great fit it doesn't seem like a, a coaching staff that's going to build quarterbacks you know I don't feel like there's this offensive you know type of mindset and it's just you know it, Stan Stinchcomb's the OC right now I mean it's I, I, I don't think anybody's going to accuse him of being the quarterback whisperer so it's it, it was a slightly disappointing draft I do think Kelly's a good sign I think he's a good backup I think he you know, there may be potential eventually but I mean I think it's Eckler's backfield and I'm not some of these picks you can argue like uh with Buffalo like Moss kind of ticked back Singletary a little bit Kelly didn't freaking even blip on Eckler's radar yeah, I mean, I, I agree with just about everything you said there. You know, it, it does kind of suck for fantasy because, you know, there's some big, pretty big names on this team, you know, outside of Justin Eckler, you know, Hunter Henry, a tight end, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. I mean, it. I think it really impacts their value from a fantasy perspective. But And Tyrod and, Tyron and Herbert, like, doesn't I, – I understand you're not a Tyrod guy, and I was a little more high on Tyrod for functioning. I was, you know, depending on how the quarterback went. But wouldn't it seem like – if they ran an offense and designed it, say, around Tyrod, but really they designed it around who their backup was going to be, wouldn't Hurts be a more, like, Tyrod be a lesser version of Hurts and, like, let the veteran kind of start and then Hurts just takes it over? But similar mindsets and Hurts is just better at everything that Tyrod is. Like, Herbert and Tyrod are, like, completely different people. Like, Hurts is, like, the 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 Captain America mold like he got the freaking superhero serum relative to the freaking goofy little white kid in the Bronx like just let him like have an offense that goes around it it's like they're almost going to like change the complete philosophy or they're going to force one of them into a freaking you know a, a circle into a square peg like or square peg into a circle I don't know fuck a hole but it's not going to work is the point 
and trying to explain how it is. It's just, it's going it, to, hopefully the off season, Herbert might get to sit longer than he needs to for their program and for the franchise. But, uh, you know, I think Tyrod's their best chance of winning now. And I think it'd probably be best for Herbert's career if he doesn't have to play. So I hope they can get out the gate fast. And I think everything will be better in 2020 for that. And then 2021, I think there will be more upside for everybody if Herbert gets to sit until they're out of it, if they do get out of it, and then come in and get the experience similar to Drew Locke right now. You know, he got the back in time. His was injury, but he got the back in time. And now nobody's really blinking as much for having that inexperience. Yeah, you make some good points. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, looking ahead to the next team, uh, the other team of Los Angeles, be the Los Angeles Rams. And man, I, I kind of, you know, I kind of had a little man crush on Cam Akers. You know, I've, I've kind of followed his career. You know, when he came out of high school at, Miss, at uh, Mississippi, he was uh, coming down to LSU in Florida State and ultimately chose uh, Florida State. But he was the number one running back in the country coming out of Mississippi, one of the highest rated players in rivals history. And, you know, he went to Florida State and in hopes that Jimbo Fisher would be his coach. And that just didn't happen. The teams just continued to crumble. And he was running behind some bad offensive lines. Now he gets an opportunity to go to Los Angeles, uh, play with the Rams with, you know, some pieces here with Jared Goff, uh, Robert Woods, and uh, Cooper Cup, along with the tight ends, Higby and Everett. I mean, so there's some pieces here. They re-signed Andrew Whitworth on the line. I think Cam Akers automatically vaults to the top of the running back chart. You know, I think this is more of an indication of Daryl Henderson not really performing very well last year. And I think that kind of drops both him and Malcolm Brown down a couple pegs. And I think for Cam Akers, you can see someone like him probably being drafted in a rookie draft, run a rookie redraft. I think he's probably got fourth or fifth round appeal right now as far as a, a rookie dynasty league. Um he could be anywhere from your second running back to your fifth running back off the board, but he's definitely someone who's probably going in the first round. Um, the other person they took out, out of UF in the second round was Van Jefferson. This was kind of a surprise pick. He took Van Jefferson over a couple other uh, highly rated names. Um, Van Jefferson hails out of Florida. Uh, he was never someone that overly impressed me. Um, I think, I guess they're going to put him in the slot, you know, in between Robert Woods and Cooper cup. Um, but, I'm not sure where that you know receiver fits in because he just wasn't someone who was on my radar in the second round. I thought the Rams reached for him. I don't think he has any real redraft appeal, uh, much less uh, maybe late in the dynasty. But I think Cam Akers has a lot of appeal here for fantasy, both in redraft and dynasty. Yeah, I'm uh, as far as Akers, I've kind of gone back and forth. I was really high on Akers, and I kind of listened to the CBS guys today. And I definitely it's, – it's funny – now, and this is a side note just in general, but doing this and I, I'm forced to develop a lot more opinions as opposed to listen to people and then kind of mold my own. But when I have to like say it, it's on, it sounds different when you say it out loud. So I've kind of like my philosophy and even my opinion when I thought something that it's now evolved and I'm like, man, these guys are fucking stupid. I completely disagree with what they're saying. And they know a lot more, man. They got the numbers and the research, but like they are very much against acres. But one thing that I thought was interesting is they think it's going to be a Malcolm Brown at the beginning. Cause, and when you think about it for what they've said last year, why Henderson didn't get the run last year when Gurley was banged up, you know, he got some touches, but when Gurley was going to go down, it was then going to be Malcolm Brown's backfield. It's like Henderson's role was carved in to give him reps. But if they needed to trust somebody, it was Malcolm Brown. 
So at the beginning of the season, it's going to be Malcolm Brown. So I, you know, they think it's going to be Malcolm Brown and a smooth transition to Acres, and Acres is ultimately going to have the value. And I do think he has the dynasty value, but I'm really concerned that this might be a muddy backfield. I was big. I, I, I'm actually going to redo my rankings before our next podcast, uh, obviously to look at them and just kind of readdress it. But I had Acres higher up for 2020, and it may. I, at the moment, I want to see how the offseason goes. And again, all these rookies, everybody's going to get set back a lot, depending on the reps that are allowed in this offseason. So this is going to be a very – it's going to be a shame for such a good rookie class to be able to underperform their rookie year just because of the inexperience they're going to be able to have even in the offseason. But I think Akers has the opportunity. I hope Akers – I think Akers is the best talent. Uh, but I don't think that they need – you know, with the girly experience as well – I'm worried this is going to turn into like San Francisco-esque and it's just going to be kind of a free-for-all back there. And as far as Van Jefferson, I did read today on Twitter, they're talking um, to McVay, and Van Jefferson is not necessarily going to challenge Reynolds for the number three spot, who they talked up a lot after the Cooks trade. Van Jefferson is training in all three spots. So that's their goal. So kind of a Swiss Army knife to if somebody were to go down, just he would step in. So – I think he I think he has zero redraft appeal but has some potential dynasty appeal. Yeah. I agree but I will say with Cam Akers I think the cream will rise to the top and I think you know by midseason I expect Cam Akers to be handling 20 plus touches a game uh easily. Well and that's something that they touched on that I did find interesting again I, when I was working out this morning listening to the CBS podcast and like I think I got through like two or three and of like their rankings and it was it's it's a really interesting philosophy and i completely stole this from them so i don't want any credit for it but how you draft and when you draft these guys and the example they use was miles sanders you know because i think when we go over our rankings next week i know mine the running backs are going to play much higher and have much more potential both in it, uh, both initially and season long than the receivers will just by the nature of the position, I think it's easier for those guys compared to everybody else, tight ends, quarterbacks, anything. Tight ends being the worst, quarterbacks probably redraft being the next worst. But wide receivers, really, it's tough to make that immediate stab. But the philosophy of, like, you draft these rookie guys, but do you just chalk off the first – and they didn't say this part, but do you just scratch off the first six weeks? If you get weeks where you can play them, they perform, that's great. But realistically, with the rookies, and especially this year, like, if you draft them – you can't guarantee, except for a couple, that the touches are going to match what the potential is going to be at the end of the year. Now, if you ended up with, you know, some of these guys on the back, like if you ended up with Miles Sanders and, you know, A.J. Brown on the back of the year last year, obviously it was great. But I don't know, like Akers and even, you know, uh, Taylor, uh, Swift, those guys are going to have much higher values week eight and after. You know, guaranteed. Now, some are going to be earlier than others. I think the only one that we feel the most comfortable is Clyde's going to have one immediately. So there's definitely a philosophy on where you rank, how you believe in these guys and how you rank like, okay, can you lose these positions the first six weeks? And but do you have a replacement like Jordan Howard late in a draft makes sense because, you know, he's going to have a a a high a high floor and then put a rookie on the back end. So it's a I think it's a philosophical debate as much as it is just a concept but I do agree with you Akers should be the best talent there I think he's the closer thing to Gurley and if there is going to be a one running back 
it's probably going to be him, but I don't know if it's going to be him out the gate. Well, yeah, time will tell. We'll find out. Uh, moving on to Oakland and, you know, Oakland. Oh, I got you. I was waiting. I was going to see if you forgot because I told you at the end of the last podcast, you hate the fucking Raiders. They now fucking play in the Death Star in the desert. <laughs> they are the fucking Las Vegas Raiders. A before O, bitch. The Raiders <laughs> are above Los Angeles. Uh. I didn't know if you were going to forget them or you're going to skip them, but fucking the Death Star is coming for the Bryce House. Man, they're just they're just Oakland in my name. I, I don't I don't know. It's just in my head and it's just glued to my head that it's Oakland. I even had Oakland in my notes and I just changed to, to Las Vegas. So see, the Chargers for me are like, oh, fuck it, they're San Diego, they're San Diego. Yeah, fuck I that. said fuck, that too. Fuck, who wants to be in Oakland? It's Vegas, baby. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one that like switched easy. I don't. The Saints might have moved last week. I don't even know. They're the New Orleans Saints forever. But you know what? They're Vegas. As soon as they said, they've been Vegas for two years for me. So, well, uh, Gruden certainly did a, a Vegas-like draft, in my opinion. He take- knock on wood if you're with me. <laughs> <laughs> he takes Henry Ruggs before every other receiver in the NFL draft, including Jerry Judy. Then he turns around in the third round and takes Lynn Bowden and Brian Edwards out of South Carolina. Um, Bowden, I don't know if you remember if you watched the SEC football, um, was a, a senior receiver at Kentucky, but he kind of got vaulted into the quarterback role because Kentucky's quarterbacks got injured, and he was actually playing quarterback last year. Um, word is um, Las Vegas has uh, transitioned Lynn Bowden's uh, position to running back. So Lynn Bowden will be a running back for the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, they re-signed Jalen Rashard to go along with Josh Jacobs. And then you have Henry Ruggs, whom, you know, I'm not, I'm just not sold on as being the number one receiver. Clearly John Gruden is, but um, I'm not as high on Ruggs as a lot of other people. Uh, Ruggs will probably go pretty high in your dynasty drafts, probably in the first round easily. And then, you know, in redraft, he's probably got uh, sixth to eighth round appeal in a redraft, but he's just not somebody I'm totally sold on because usually these speed burners don't end up to be your consistent uh, wide receiver ones at the end of the day. There's someone who's just kind of a piece to an offense, and I just think that's what Henry Ruggs is going to be. Look, I, I it's a very Vegas draft. I completely agree. But I think they needed to make a move. They know they needed pieces in the office. They tried to do it with Antonio Brown. And little did we know the freaking CTE was going to set in that offseason. <laughs> or maybe it was the freaking frostbite. Who knows at this point, you know. He tried to turn into Mr. Freeze, but he turned into, you know, batshit crazy and went to Arkham. But at this point, I think they needed to get pieces on offense. Derek Carr is going to have limited excuses. Now, I don't think the rookie wide receivers, again, are going to pay immediate dividends but you have a whole lot of weapons now with Jacobs, with Waller, with, with uh, Williams. And I think they have enough pieces to score some points. And again, Ruggs can grow as a receiver with the pieces around him. I think Ruggs is going to have one of the higher redraft values only because I don't think rookie wide receivers last year was a major exception. And a lot of them did it on a lot less targets. You know, A.J. Brown was like a yak king. And DK pay, plays with the most efficient quarterback ever. So it's not going to happen every year. And this is a great class. But I think Ruggs is in the best position. Barring, uh, I want to hedge everything. He's in the best position if his quarterback was not Derek Carr. Now, Derek Carr used to be a much better quarterback. 
right before the injury, he was going to be the MVP. They were going to go to the freaking number one team in the playoffs. They're going to make a run. And then he died in Mexico or the week before Mexico. And it just, it, it just, it all fell off from there. And he's been checked down master ever since. So I think that Ruggs in that offense, and here's the thing if they can get a better player, like honestly, like, I mean, if they put Cam or Andy Dalton in there, people kind of feel better. I think Derek Carr and Andy Dalton are kind of a whatever. Cam obviously offers a complete different dynamic. I don't even know if Cam can get Gruden's plays out because I, you know, I don't understand how Gruden can say his plays. But I think Rugs are going to have the highest redraft potential. I think he's going to be close to some of these other guys. Um, I think him and Mims because with a redraft guy, you want there to be opportunity. I think Judy and Lame are in better dynasty situations. What about Jalen Rager? Honestly, I think Rager is going to be one of the number well, one options in Philly. Rager, I agree. I'd like that smoke screen needs to settle in the sense that it needs to just clear out. Because, again, rookie wide receivers don't necessarily pay off. And they just have such a good philosophy with the tight ends that they have. And Miles Sanders being a versatile bat, uh, pass catcher. And Boston Scott being a good pass catcher. And they're the only ones. And then – Who's left? And that, that right now, I, I hope Rager could be, but I think you know between Rager, Rager, Mims, and um, Rager, Mims, and Rugs have the most immediate week one potential. Let's say it that way. Yeah, things can shape out through the year. Jefferson and I, it's just Jefferson, Jordan Jefferson, and Judy are clear number twos on their team going into the year, and probably throughout the year. And Lamb is a two slash three type of guy. So it's just rugs is going to have redraft potential because of the upside. But I think it's almost inverse in the dynasty. Like if I get the number, you know, whatever, if, if I'm picking a mid round pick in a redraft, I'm probably going with rugs, but on the dynasty, I'm the 12 pick. I probably end up with rugs still as an option because these other guys have probably higher ceilings on the long run because I think of where he's at. As far as Bowden, you know, I think he's similar to uh, Gibson in Washington. And honestly, I think he may be similar to kind of Hertz in Philly. You know, the league's a copycat league. And everybody, whatever, everybody hammers Sean Payton for taking Drew Brees off the field when Taysom comes in. But Taysom Hill usually makes the play required when he's in the game. Very few times on a third and short, fourth and short, or a big play have I not seen Taysom Hill make the play when Brees is or and off the field. So I think some of these gimmick H-back type players are having a role. I th- they've already said they want to use Hertz as that, and they've also said they want to use Hertz as a running back, and we'll get to Philly when we get there. And Gibson as well, like a slot receiver slash PPR running back, Chris Thompson, you know, Santana Moss, Crowder filler in Washington. But I think Bowden is going to be like a jack-off of all trades. Like <laughs> he is going to do – a whole lot of Gruden's fucking, you know, Joker, Ramsey, <coughs> up the butt offense. Like, it's going to get weird in Oakland because he gives just a different dynamic. You have everybody where they're supposed to be, and I think Bowden's going to be fucking all over the place. And I was really disappointed with Brian Edwards landing here because I thought he had some real upside, and he does in Dynasty. I don't think he matters at all in redraft, but when Tyrell Williams ages out, which probably – or contracts out sooner than later and car ages out. Cause Gruden's there for the next eight years. You put another quarterback in there and now you have year three, three year, three wide receivers, a year four running back and Darren Waller. 
tell me that there's going to be a better skill set if any of these guys, if two of these three guys pan out, you're like, holy shit. And it's not going to be Bowden at quarterback. It's not going to be Bowden at running back. But Bowden may do a little PPR running back. He may do the H-back. He may come in at quarterback. He's going to be all over the fucking place, I think. So I think it was creative pick, and they got to fill up the Death Star. So I, I, I actually – I thought Gruden did a pretty good job all in all. All right. Well, I'll be very curious to see uh, that offense in action. I'll be real curious to see what happens with them, Bowden. Uh, looking at Miami, uh, Miami gets, to me, the second-best quarterback in the draft. Uh, Tua out of Alabama, who is a stud, in my opinion. The only downside with Tua, obviously, is some of his injuries that he's had in the past. But when he's on the field, he is a talent. I think he goes to that next level. Uh, when you talk about someone who can start establishing rapport with some of the receivers they have over there, They've got a lot of young talent in Miami, and I love what Miami is starting to build. Um, they also traded for Matt Breida uh, from San Francisco for a middle-round pick, which if Breida can stay on the field, I think he's a, a good weapon, someone who can you know definitely catch the ball at the backfield and spell you know, whoever, Jordan Howard or Kalen Blige, whoever else is in front of him. And they also added some O-line help through the draft. Um, so I really like what they did here. Um, I think Tua, in all in all, um, in a redraft league, he's probably more or less someone you're not going to draft. It's probably someone who would get in the late rounds and someone you just stash on your bench. Um, as far as dynasty, he'll be drafted in the first round just because he's got that type of dynasty appeal. Um, I do think uh, for Matt Breida, though, that his value kind of goes up a little bit because he's out of San Francisco and all that that mess. But now he's in Miami, and Caleb Bosch really doesn't have a whole lot of talent. Jordan Howard can't really catch the ball off the backfield. So there's an immediate role for Matt Burita. And I think if he stays on the field, to me, he's probably an immediate seventh, eighth round pick at minimum at this point. Right. I think uh, I, I have nothing to say about Tua. If Tua can stay healthy, I, he will, him and Burrow have the opportunity to go down as the best quarterbacks in the class, and they should race for it. And, you know, it was tank for two was a real thing. His health is the only issue. His skill set and his like caliber of person, his mindset, everything is above board. Like it is amazing. I'm high on two in Dynasty. Um, redraft, I'm pretty much not high on any of the rookies. You know, if you want to draft one late and see if they catch fire, but I made that mistake with Kyler last year and he had his ups and downs, but in a redraft it just it really didn't make sense. And he had that rushing upside. And I'm pretty sure they're going to tell Tua, get the fuck down, you know? Like, so there's going to be limited upside as far as that, you know, real rushing ability and learning the systems and everything. Uh, the, as far as the Breida trade, I almost think it's a wash because one of the best comparisons I said, Breida's been great forever. And one thing that Breida can do that Howard cannot do is Breida can take it to the house on any, any given play, screen play, little swing pass out the backfield, rush up the middle. Like, he can bust one. He has that ability but at the same time breed has always been in san francisco and san francisco is really good at running the football so some of that is shanahan's scheme so i think there's a give and take he's in a better situation in a lesser rushing offense and i think that you're going to see that come to level out and i actually i think he may be down a little bit but hopefully the volume increase between him and just sharing with him and howard is going to um, make it better. And you knew somebody was going to come in for Howard, so I really don't think it hurts Howard's status at all. And if anything, you know what you're getting with Brita. So uh, I think it's great for him. Uh, the most important signing, I agree, Miami had a great draft. They traded back a couple of times. They had all the draft picks from all the other years. But most importantly, 
Blake Ferguson in the sixth round, long snapper out of LSU. So they're going to be able to punt and kick the shit out of the ball because it's going to be fucking clean. So go Tigers. Go Tigers indeed. Speaking of Tigers, the next team we're talking about is Minnesota. Drafting Justin Jefferson in the first round. Um, I recently saw on Twitter today that Justin Jefferson was – going to get back at the teams that passed on him who took a receiver. So he's obviously – he's always played someone who's played with a chip on his shoulder, and he's clearly going to play with a chip on his shoulder coming into the NFL. You know, I saw some hate on Justin Jefferson today that I kind of wanted to address, and it's the fact that um, some of the industry analysts don't think that Justin Jefferson can play on the outside. Apparently, only the industry analysts watched this year's tape, and they didn't watch last year's tape of Justin Jefferson because he played on the outside. And he did very well. He dominated a lot of good SEC corners. So I find that to be kind of BS. I think that's some half-ass uh, analyzing. So maybe they ought to want to take a look at that tape. But I think Justin Jefferson, Minnesota, playing on the outside, opposite of Adam Thielen, is going to be just fine. I think, you know, in a dynasty league, he's going into, you know, probably go in the first round, mid to late first round. In a redraft league, you're probably looking at someone probably in the eighth to tenth round range. But, you know, this is, again, you know, a rookie receiver who really needs reps and time to grow and build rapport with Kirk Cousins. And he may not have that time this year. You know, he may get a limited training camp. Uh, the other thing I like that Minnesota did was they took Ezra Cleveland, <clears throat> who I thought had a first-round talent, but he ended up getting, getting out of the first round. And into almost the third round, I think it might have been in the third round. But uh, one stat I like to kind of – I wanted to throw out was the last four tackles that have been drafted out of Boise have played significant time in the NFL. So that tells me that Boise's doing very good breeding, some really big offensive linemen. So Minnesota may have gotten a late round uh, – kind of a mid-round steal out of Ezra Cleveland. Yeah, it was the second round, and my favorite meme on the Vikings was, you know, the guy in your league that likes to trade just for the sake of trading. Because how many rounds is the draft, Adam? Seven. How many picks do the Vikings have this year? I think they had like 15. 15. That's what I'm talking about. I like a GM that fucking makes moves. Because when I look at their lineup and I see – from Bills, from 49ers, from 49ers, from Saints, from Saints, from 49ers, from Saints, from Ravens, from Saints. I fucking like it. Making moves for the sake of making moves. Who cares what we get? Let's just make a trade. But I think uh, Jefferson of a lot of the number two receivers on their team, he has the most upside based off of the people around him. But the scheme, I think, may hold him back. And I – because – I think they kind of want to move Diggs, and I think they maybe force Diggs the ball a little bit because trying to keep people happy. And, you know, Zimmer doesn't want to do that, and nobody cares. The best thing with Jefferson, though, why he's even higher on that number two is because Thielen is banged up. You know, I've been high on Thielen. You know, opportunity, potential. I think Jefferson helps that potential because you have another clean route runner on the other side. Thielen's pumped up because you got to have two receivers. If you have one, it's very difficult to – guarantee anything from that guy so you want to have that two to at least split coverage split bounce put them on the same side so you put jefferson in the slot Thielen outside whomever they got left split them out the other way and it's going to be it should be a very good fit and it's all about what the game script's going to be so what does their defense end up looking like you know vikings defense kind of took a step back last year but they drafted a whole lot of defense this year a whole lot of defense this year so it's going to be interesting if, you know, if they go back to that Zimmer philosophy, you know, play really good defense, feed Dalvin Cook, 
throw it when we have to or when we can surprise them. The volume's probably not going to be there, and I don't know if that touchdown potential is going to make up for it. You're not going to get the PPR volume because I'm imagining if they got to go to somebody, he's going to Thielen, not necessarily Jefferson. So I'm all in on Dynasty. Redraft, and I'll keep saying it, for most of, the, most of these receivers, I'm probably going to look elsewhere depending on the value or where we're at and, you know, maybe look to make a mid-season move type of thing if I think somebody may be about to get hot. But um, all in all, kind of a quiet offensive draft for them, even with all 15 picks. Yeah. Um, the next team we're, we're going to hit on is New England. And, and to, me, <laughs> to me, it's more it's more what New England didn't do rather than what they did do. And that's – they kind of just missed on a quarterback. Um, they never drafted uh, a quarterback to back up Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer. Uh, you go and add some tight ends – um, who I'm not going to pretend to really know about uh, tight ends Devin Asiasi at UCLA and Dalton King at Virginia Tech. Um, you know, two tight ends that are probably not going to help you immediately. Again, I think it's just kind of in, in, indicative of what Bill Belichick and the Patriots, I think, are kind of doing. Um, I think they're really preparing for a, a long season and maybe dogging out for someone like Trevor Lawrence next season. I think that's what's happening here. It's it is. It, it, I don't even know how to begin to describe it. It's it's almost. I, I have as much faith in Belichick as I do as almost any human alive at the job that they do. This may be the year that Belichick Belichick's himself, and just they overplay their hand. If their philosophy is to still win games, <laughs> just pre- let's preface that because I mean the draft was good, depending on your perception, but they trade out of the first round and then they go for a guy in the second round from Lenore Rhine. Like literally ESPN had to like show it on a map. Like, Hey, look, by the way, this is where this university or college or graduate school or daycare is whatever this guy was where janitor. I have no idea. Nobody knows. Like they just literally drafted a guy. Like I have no idea who he is, but I don't know if he, they're just so good. It doesn't matter. But I saw somebody retweeted today that, you know, maybe they just think they want to get a look at Stenham and they think that he may be good enough and Hoyer can back up. But to Bill's credit, the Bears gave up a fourth round for Nick Foles, which is, you know, crazy. When you look at Jameis just signed for like 25 cents and a fucking <laughs> po'boy today or yesterday and, you know, took pay cuts everywhere. And he even has Lasix now. So he saw what he was signing. And then <laughs> – but you got Flacco, Cam, and Dalton, all free agents. And I'm not saying that either one of them are fucking gangbusters or Cam's a former MVP that he was. But if you want to win games right now and you have pieces around you, you can put Andy Dalton or Cam Newton in that offense and win games. Arguably, you could put Flacco in an offense, especially in a Belichick offense, where like, look, we want to have the ball. We want to play defense. We want to play special teams. We want a good game. Like – Put Flacco fucking in. Like, put Flacco in with Tom Brady without, you know, Edelman and Randy Moss. Just, like, let them play original Patriots football. It's ugly, it's dirty, and they win games. So, Bill's playing chess. We're all playing checkers. I have, I, I'm looking at the draft. I see them all. I can't figure it out because I'm, you know, I play fucking Chinese checkers. So, I don't even read the same fucking language as these guys. So, it's, it's going to be interesting. It matters nothing for fancy other than, I maybe take Edelman and fuck everybody else. 
Yeah, I'm, I agree. There's not anybody, I'm, and I'm not even, like we've talked about it on a previous podcast, I'm not even high on Julian Edelman. Um, I do believe someone like Andy Dalton could sign with the Patriots, and if that were the case, I think I would bump up some, some rankings on James White, Sony Michelle, and right. um, Jeff Edelman. But, you know, we'll have to see what happens with that. So, I, Mimo, it's funny. Well, from a real fantasy perspective, um, uh, Her- uh, Keneal Harry and Damian Harris, and uh, there's another receiver there. Um, Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers. I think part of what they didn't do to what they did, like, so, you know, traditionally it's a wide receiver three breakout. And especially I can imagine for the Belichick, you, you know, you fuck up one thing, you're off, you know? So I do think having a year under those guys, all those guys may have a lot of run this year. So if Stenham or Hoyer or Dalton or Cam or whomever can do it, you, you may find a diamond in the rough in those guys. There really could be some significant value. The rookie tight ends, fuck them. They're not going to pay off this year. I don't think, yeah. but Edelman's literally we me and my wife just uh rewatched all the Avengers, like air, just the Avengers, not like all the other stuff. We've thrown Civil War. We didn't throw in the whole fucking thirty movies or whatever it is. But like the like Edelman literally is like Hawkeye. Are you getting Hawkeye in Infinity War or fucking Endgame? Like Infinity War, he was under house arrest and he didn't fucking show up in the movie. Or are you getting him in Endgame and he's running around with the fucking gauntlet for half of the fucking ending, keeping the universe safe? Like, I don't know what Edelman we're getting, but I don't think it's going to be one in the middle. That motherfucker is going to have, like, 150 targets and, you know, 110 catches because he's three yards away from the line of scrimmage, or he's going to be fucking zero because they're just so bad. Like, I don't think you're getting an in-between. Like, you're literally Hawkeye one or the other. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if fucking he's under house arrest or he's, you know, gangbuster against a bunch of, you know, four-legged freaks chasing him. But – Edelman's going to win or lose somebody leaves because somebody in your league is going to see the fucking name and like, oh, Julian Edelman's here. That's a fucking pick. And he's going to be right or completely wrong. Like, there's no – it's like this fucking corona panic. It's like, regardless of what stat you look at, somebody's going to be right or wrong, and nobody's going to know until the end. So that's why you just listen to us. Hey, listen to the fantasy pandemic. We'll give you everything, knowledge and power, right? Hey, knowledge is power. There you go. Um, I do. I'm more on the Edelman bombing side of things. So that's kind of where I've been and that's kind of where I've stuck my, uh, my flag at, but Hey, looking on to new Orleans, new Orleans does a kind of a new Orleans thing. Let's trade all of our picks for a few players. They take Susie Ruiz in the first round, um, who will probably be one of your, your either starting center or starting guard this year. And then they trade up to take Adam Troutman out of Dayton tight end. Uh, this is a pretty big boy. He's 6'5", 255, ran the three, uh, third fastest three-cone drill at the, the combine. This is not someone I don't think who's going to have a whole lot of appeal this year. Rookie tight ends in general just do not have a whole lot of appeal in a redraft setting. But maybe in a dynasty setting, you know, as much as Sean Payton loves to get the tight end involved, um, I could certainly see he has some some late dynasty appeal, maybe third or fourth round of the dynasty. But uh, the real, you know, the news that I kind of want to discuss while we're on New Orleans is ESPN has decided to classify Taysom Hill as a flex tight end, not as a quarterback. He will be playing, be positioned as a tight end as a, and a flex play, which 
is kind of interesting. It, it kind of makes me wonder if that's going to bait some people to take Taysom, you know, in the top eight rounds or something because they think Taysom's just going to take that, you know, next gigantic step in the offense. But I think that's, that's an interesting call by ESPN that I can see some other leagues following suit. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting how the classification goes. I'm actually trying to pull up one of our leagues right now to see – you know, how his finish would have placed amongst tight ends. So I'll get back to us in like three teams after technology decides to work with me. But uh, it's, you know, the Saints, like you said, they're very Saintish. I do think Troutman, you know, Komet was the most NFL ready from everything I saw and read and looked at. Troutman was the one with the most upside. Like, think, you know, kind of the Gates, Jimmy Graham, not like they're going to be either one of those guys, but the – non-traditional athletic, you know, specimen that can do a whole lot of different things. So Troutman had that versatility that, you know, a traditional, you know, play in and play out. Yeah. He's not, you hope to be, if you're a traditional tight end, you hope to be Ertz that can do a little bit of block and you can be the pass catcher, you know, the Goddard, but this is supposed to be like an athletic type of guy that can really go make plays. And, you know, I've seen some sites like the athletic says, you know, as early as 2021, he could be the tight end one. So that, you know, that that's pretty big now. That's bold words. Right. But, and I think that's obviously depending on who the quarterback is and what happens and if cooks there and things like that. So there's a whole lot of moving pieces, you know, and dynasty, you're not looking for that tight end to make that impact immediately. So I do think that has some value, obviously in any leagues we're in, you know, it's a local guy. So he's going to get run before Komet or any of the other guys either way. So he'll be, I'll be shocked if he's not the first time off the board in any dynasty or keeper or anything kind of a draft that we're in. But, um, you know, and they traded up. And honestly, what I found really interesting, not only are they trading all their picks this year, but they traded up to get back into the seventh round this year to draft Tommy Stevens, quarterback at Mississippi State, who is essentially how we said, like I said, Tyrod and Hertz were kind of – Hertz was 2.0. Tommy Stevens is like a Taysom Hill clone. So the position that Sean Payton has created for Taysom, he is now drafting people to fill it. So Taysom's making 10 times as much as Jameis, who, by the way, threw for 5,000 yards last year. And Taysom has th- thrown like seven completions ever or something like that. Something stupid. And Tommy Stevens is kind of his heir apparent for the fucking hybrid handcuffs. So, Shit's getting weird in New Orleans. You know, we got Corona and voodoo dolls, so we can't be held accountable for what we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll definitely see what happens. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if some other uh, league affiliates follow suit with ESPN and, and re, uh, reclassify him. That could make some make him probably a draftable player at that point, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's move on to the Giants who, oh, fuck the Giants. But – they, you know what? The Giants, they drafted a whole lot of offensive linemen. Yep. Hey, protection for Barkley, protection for Daniel Jones. That's fine with me because I'm a Daniel Jones owner in Dynasty. Hey, I, nothing wrong with it. You know, you, more options for Saquon, more time for the receivers. It's uh, where they were, it was always the best pick for them, and along with, you know, adding the defensive perspective in. So I thought the Giants had a very okay draft. And I say, okay, because they didn't have the splash player. But sometimes you need some unsexy people to fucking just 
you know, you gotta, you gotta fill the brick. You need some mortar in there. Okay. Not everybody could be brick. Somebody's gotta be mortar. And this was a fucking, this was a mortar draft for the giants. Yeah. They needed to reestablish their offensive line and they did that. So Bravo to them might've been a boring draft, but uh, to me for the fantasy players who are on that offense, uh, I think it, it certainly helps them out the way they drafted. So uh, moving on to the New York Jets, and really we kind of talked about Denzel Mims uh, on one of the, the podcasts previously. Um, I think he he's an interesting fit at and with the Jets. I I was he was definitely somebody I was extremely high on. I hoped he had went to a better team and a better option, but unfortunately he landed with the Jets, and he's going to play opposite of Brashad Perriman uh, with Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell back there. Um, to me. Uh, you know, he could end up getting peppered with targets. I think it's more Jameson Crowder, but, you know, someone has to get some targets. And I think Denzel Mims has the potential to be a great receiver, but I worry that the offense and Adam Gaze is going to hold him back. Um, as far as the Michael P. Ryan's concerned, um, you know, is he going to be a backup to Le'Veon Bell? Or is Blau Powell still in there for like the 15th year in a row? I'm not even sure, but. P. Ryan wasn't a bad back out of, out of Florida. He was a solid back. I think he was brother of Samaji P. Ryan, uh, who played at Washington. Um, and he, you know, he plays well in, at Florida. I think he'll probably back up uh, Bell at this point. Uh, he's probably more of a late round handcuff. He's probably not someone you're going to draft in a in a redraft, but in a dynasty, you'll he'll probably be there in the third round, possibly even the fourth round. <clears throat> yeah, it's. Uh, I thought that. I thought that Mims is actually a good fit for them. Um, I think that there's opportunity there. Uh, Pearman, I think Crowder is going to be by far the target hog in that offense, especially with everything we said with the rookies. But I hope that, especially in Dynasty, I think if you draft if you draft Mims this year, you're not expecting anything because he, you know, is going to operate under Dexter. But once Dexter is removed out of the equation and they get a new head coach in there, and then Darnold and the whole offense gets opened up, I think Mims could have significant value. I think that, you know, there is no true number one. Crowder is not much left in the tank. Brashard Perriman is still fucking Perriman. <clears throat> when it's all said and done, like, I don't think that last year was his coming out party as much as it was the stars aligned and Jameis would chuck it to a color because he couldn't see 20 yards downfield. So I don't know if anybody's going to give him those risks in New York. And I think Piron's a bell handcuff. Um, I think Piron's an okay running back. Uh, I don't know if he's the running back of the future. You know, I think that they could get by if if everything else goes right in New York and they are competitive and Mims and Perryman and Crowder, whatever you know, Henderson, whatever people they put around Darnold, and Darnold's competent and the defense defense gets better, they can save the next couple of years on drafting a running back and signing a big volume free agency and trying to unload Le'Veon's contract, or maybe a coach comes in and actually wants to use Le'Veon. But, you know, P. Ryan has little value because I don't – Le'Veon couldn't – Le'Veon Bell couldn't fucking perform under Adam Gay. So I don't know why anybody thinks, you know, LaMichael P. Ryan's going to. It doesn't – it's just – it's not going to happen – and my worst concern is they drafted the Michael Pirine. That's their guy. And they're going to fucking Drake and uh, Balazs him, the, the Bell and Pirine. And they're just going to use them both at the worst times and the wrong situations. And neither of them are going to have value. And it's going to be a 
fucking mishmash of just just destruction and death and you know plastic cloth and it's going to be awful but i would hope that they're not going to be good enough that mims and crowder and paramin can get some volume but if i have to choose i'm still crowder over all those guys and i don't expect the jets to splash this year but i do think they are building for the future relatively well yeah um I can tell you what, if the, that happens, what you just described with Bell and P. Ryan, Adam Gaines will 100% be out of a job come the end of the 2020 season. Right. <laughs> so let's, let's move ahead over to the Philadelphia Eagles, who I thought, you know, got a receiver, Jalen Rager, out of TCU. I think it's a good fit. I think he, he to me, of all rookie receivers, comes into the best opportunity and the best chance to be successful in a redraft league, someone who I think is going to get some volume because the lack of options outside your tight ends uh, in Philadelphia, I really think he's going to be someone who could finish as your rookie wide receiver one uh, this season, just because of the opportunity and uh, volume that I think he's going to get. And that's not an indictment on Jerry Judy or Justin Jefferson or anyone else like that. I just think it's the opportunity that that Rager landed in that is going to benefit him, especially this season. You know, again, it really depends on you know him trying to develop a good report with Wentz, <clears throat> but not having OTAs and rookie mini camps could certainly hurt that. And then you know we addressed the Jalen Hurts situation with Philadelphia uh, again. You know, Jalen Hurts being taken in the second round. Um, Carson Wentz, uh, I don't think Hurts is going to have any type of redraft value this year unless Wentz goes down. But in Dynasty, he would be someone I would take a look at in the third or fourth round just as a kind of a tuck away on my bench for a rainy day if Wentz were to get hurt. I certainly think Hurts is more than capable of running this offense and running it efficiently. No, I, I, I've i been outspoken about how much I think about Hurts. Uh, I do think Carson gets Hurts. So at some point, Jalen probably will get some time how much it is if it's a few weeks or the rest of the season will be interesting. Uh, Rager, I, I agree. Rager has upside as their number one wide receiver. I still don't know if there will be enough volume to validate a redraft. Now, wide receiver three, probably, you know, I feel really, I feel okay about that. But if Alshon and Deshaun are both on this team and they're both playing, which is a stretch for them, I get that. But it's just – it's muddy water receiver. Again, we go back to the rapport and all the other shit. Just I, – I just don't know. I feel more uncomfortable. It's really disappointing that this rookie wide receiver class is not going to get the time and have that opportunity. So, you know, you're always going to – and I'm going to side with the veterans at this point going forward. But Dynasty, I think it's great. I think, you know, next year especially, like Rager has ample opportunity. There's no – all these, you know, aged wonders are going to be gone and – you know, talking about Jalen at H-back, by the way, going back to that Taysom Hill debate, I just renewed my league on Yahoo so they would stop yelling at me. And Taysom Hill, with his points that he scored last year, would have been the 20th tight end on the board. So having tight end eligibility um, is not exactly going to force Taysom into anybody's starting lineups anytime soon. That's kind of why I was saying is it more of a bait move <clears throat> for somebody to take Taysom Hill early 
thinking that it might pan out uh, that that's that was my concern and you know you just kind of um vindicated what i was saying right there by him being the 20th rated tight end last year with the fancy points that he scored right so. well all you listening nobody fucking tell jimmy because he'll draft that motherfucker so we all know who jimmy is <laughs> just let him draft him. <laughs> Definitely. Um, going to the next team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, they had a very interesting draft. They uh, took a receiver in the second round by Chase uh, Chase Claypool, who is pretty big and has got some very big measurables. Um, he was a little bit lower on the draft board, but Pittsburgh uh, kind of sniped him in the second round there. And then they came back and took Anthony McFarlane in the middle rounds, a running back out of Maryland, who I was very high on coming out of Maryland. Um, and if you want to just talk about McFarland, just go turn on his tape against Ohio State when he ran for like 275 yards, and he took ended up taking two, uh, I think, 80 yard runs to the house against Ohio State. And to me, that was kind of the thing I, I wanted to see out of him. And he lands to me in, a, in an interesting spot because you've got some. It's a kind of a crowded backfield with uh, Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, and James Conner, who you know struggles to stay on the field. You know if James Conner struggles to stay on the field again with his injuries. I think Anthony McFarlane would be more than sufficient replacement. And I think he's got some pretty good dynasty value. Uh, redraft leagues, I don't think uh, somebody's going to take him unless it's a very late pick. One of your last picks may be someone that you're just tucking away uh, on your on your lead, on your roster. And then Chase Claypool, you know, uh, a solid, you know, big-bodied rookie who I saw, you know, some analysts comparing to uh, – Calvin Johnson would come to some of his measurables with height and his speed running at the 40, but make no mistake about it. This is not Calvin Johnson coming out of Notre Dame. This is someone completely different. And I'm not sure if this is going to be uh, someone that you're going to be counting on in a redraft league and probably dynasty would be someone that I would be looking at late. Right. I, I don't think either one of these guys have any uh, redraft appeal and any sort of substantial pick now i will say that i am a fundamental believer of the pittsburgh steelers wide receiver scouting team so i've been in on james washington and deontay johnson i think that last year i think the entire pittsburgh offense could explode if ben can stay on the field because you know the, the backups they had were atrocious like if cam i thought Jameis should have signed personally i think Jameis should have signed in pittsburgh because I don't know how many more years Ben has than Drew, than Drew. And I think it's much more likely Ben gets hurt than Drew. And I think that Jameis would have an opportunity to still learn and be in a good franchise because there's good franchises and they're bad. And I think the Saints for a quarterback and the Saints, the way they've been run recently, have been very well. And the Steelers have been um, high class in their entire history. And I think that if Jameis could have gone there – Maybe he could have got our shit together now that he can see. So maybe he could have got off at the right exit or something and not, you know, oh, I'm going to grab the crab leg. I was trying to grab my, you know, my, my bag. But, you know, you can't blame a blind kid for stuff. But so I'm in on Claypool. Uh, again, I don't – I'm not going to be a rookie wide receiver guy, especially with young guys like Washington, Deontay Johnson, and Juju in front of him. I don't, I don't know how he pays dividends. I was excited to see that the uh, – the Steelers GM came out and said, you know, we see him as a true outside receiver because there was talk that they were going to play him at tight end, which maybe would have been more interesting, but they're not going to use him at that. But that's how big his body is. And that's how, you know, you're talking about his measurables. Like he is a significant creature out there. 
So I'm all in on him in the long term. This year's not that. So next year I think there could be a whole lot more upside, especially since they're talking about moving Juju. You know, they're talking about not re-signing him. I don't know if there's a some love lost or, you know, maybe they're just fed up with wide receivers in Pittsburgh. But that's not their priority at the moment. And Anthony McFarlane, I think he's everything that James Conner is not. But I think James Conner offers a lot of things that Anthony McFarlane doesn't. So I think this is a going to be a true one-two situational type running back uh, circumstance. You know, all the hype, the Jalen Samuels great. And uh, who's the other one you said? Vinny Snell. Vinny Snell. You know, they're like, oh, you know, this and that. But every time they always – anytime Connor could breathe or stand, they gave him the ball. So, they obviously trust him much more than the other two. So, I think this is more of a detriment to those guys. This is, this is like Kelly to Justin Jackson more than it is, you know, Kelly to Eckler type situation. I don't think – Yeah, a, I, I, totally, I, I totally agree with you on I that. I don't think it's a slide against Connor other than – Okay, we know he's not a three-down workhorse. And you know what? Two-thirds of the league doesn't have that guy. But we need a guy that could do these other things that could get him off the field on those plays and make a play. And I think McFarland has that. So I do – you know, redraft, I, he's nothing more than a handcuff. He may be a PPR guy, but it'd be interesting to see because they do trust Connor in there a lot. So – um, dynasty, he has a lot more appeal than redraft, but I do think there could be, there could be something there with redraft. And again, Connor is not the vision of health. I think McFarlane extends Connor's health, but you know, Connor has been, this is going to be what Connor's third, third year in the league. So fourth, fourth. Yeah. So there's no guarantee that they're, you know, they don't move in another direction. This could be a lesser version of the heir apparent, you know, a la Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack type of situation. Like, Hey, look, we got you another year. We're going to run you, but we're going to let you walk after it too. So. Yeah, that's, that, that'll be interesting to see. I definitely do think it is an indictment on Denny Snell. I think that his value is way down uh, in dynasty. Yeah, I don't, certainly not even I don't think so. yeah, those guys, I mean, uh, you're talking about, uh, if you're debating on cutting those guys and cut them, just that's whatever. <laughs> uh, no doubt about it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moving on to Seattle. Uh, Seattle adds another running back in the draft. Uh, DJ Dallas out of Miami to go with a interesting backfield with Rashad Penny, uh, along with Chris Carson, who are both pretty injury prone. So they really need someone to kind of be there and maybe kind of fill those voids. So they take DJ Dallas out of Miami. Then they also go and take another tight end, Colby Parkinson, tight end out of Stanford to kind of add to that tight end room with Will Disley and uh, Jacob Hollister and Greg Olson. And I'm sure I'm missing another injury prone tight end, but that just kind of crowds at the tight end room. Um, neither of these guys to me have redraft appeal, uh, DJ Dallas may have late dynasty appeal, but I don't think there's anybody that they took that you're going to count on this year. Yeah, I literally have nothing productive to say about any of them. I would be bone smoke over everybody's ass. I think DJ Dallas is a Rashad Penny, get your shit together or fucking you're gone type of move. I don't think it has anything to do with Carson. And yeah, so the rest of these guys, I don't think have any. I. I mean, do they all have opportunity? Absolutely. Do I think that any of them matter in the next year or two? I'd be a little surprised or very surprised for most of them. More importantly, they drafted Damian Lewis from LSU as well as Stefan Sullivan from LSU. Yes, sir. So 
they're getting better whether they like it or not. Yeah, I think Damian Lewis steps in day one and starts a guard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's – yeah, easy, easy, easy step in, easy fit. Yeah, I think that was a, and, a great pick by Seattle. And, he was he was one of the he was one of the best guards in college football. And they talked about Sullivan because Pete Carroll and O were friends. And yeah. they, it's funny because Thad Moss didn't get drafted. He got signed by the Redskins in free agency, but as an undrafted free agent. But they drafted Sullivan, and he t- they they obviously there was communication between Pete Carroll and O, and just that upside and you know. And he even said Sullivan was underutilized, but I mean. Shit, when you got the pieces that they had around, yeah, ain't nothing you can do I mean, about that. Because Sullivan's one of those hybrid. He wasn't a true tight end, but he wasn't a true receiver. But you can find those roles in different offenses in the NFL much easier than in college, where you have a limited time for those guys. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, looking over to San Francisco, we talked about IU for the record on the Friday broadcast last last year. But what I do want to talk about is Matt Breda being traded to Miami. And it kind of clears up this running back room a little bit. You have Raheem Mostert, to me, takes a little bit of a step forward. Uh, Tevin Coleman will probably be, you know, that 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 two B type player to him. Um, you still have Jared McKinnon here, who who knows if he's uh, how healthy he really is to play. But uh, I think this kind of bumps up Mostert a little bit in in both formats, PPR and half point PPR. Um, and uh, I think it kind of it bumps up Coleman just a little bit, but I think most will definitely be the one the one A here in this in this team. I don't know if it bumps up any of them more than it makes you feel better about drafting them, and I don't know if that's like a hedge or a cop out, yeah. but like I don't because I still don't because I still think it's gonna be hot hand, and I do. I, I actually uh, saw something today about McKinnon being the they're going to try to get him on the third down PPR types, you know, that, that pass catching running back situation. So it's almost like they got like a first down, second down back for like three drives. And they got a first down, second back for three drives. And they got McKinney coming in on third down. So I think it's going to be a mess until one of them gets hurt. Brita helps clear the smog, but the smog's still there, you know, and until, you know, our powers combine and Captain, Captain Planet cleans this shit up, it doesn't matter. It's going to be San Francisco. It's going to be smoggy. It's going to be crappy. I have no idea. Um, but for the record, San Francisco starts with an S-A and Seattle starts with an S-E. So I don't know what Google Translate you're using, but you're out of order. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're if you're worried about order at this point, then hey. Hey, I'm, oh, hey, well. I'm just trying to keep us flowing. I, I have... I have a script, okay? I got to follow my script. Okay, well, well, on to the next team, and they start with a TA, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, look at you. Who, got one right. Who took Tristan Wirfs off at the tackle in the first round, who I think was one of the top tackles in the, in, in the draft this year, and immediately will probably start day one and come protect Tom Brady. Uh, the real pick here that I really liked was Keyshawn Vaughn out of Vanderbilt, running back. To me, Vaughn was very impressive in college, and I think he immediately steps into a situation where he can be a three-down back and a yeah, three-down workhorse because that's what he was at Vanderbilt, and he was mighty impressive at Vanderbilt. And now he steps into a situation where, you know, Ronald Jones is there, but I mean, let's let's be real, Ronald Jones is, is Ronald Jones. I don't think. I don't think Keyshawn Vaughn really is going to be felt threatened by him. Ronald Jones may come in to spell Vaughn, but I do have some high hopes for Vaughn. And I think he will have redraft and dynasty appeal. Certainly in redraft, I think he can be drafted in the top uh, five to six rounds. And in dynasty, I definitely think he has some appeal. He might be someone who's going to be there, you know, 
late first, mid second round. He'll be somewhere floating around there, I think. But I think he's got a lot of good appeal, and I definitely think he can uh, become that three down James White back that Tom Brady likes uh, out of his running backs. But uh, to me, this is a better version of James White. See, I I I I disagree in the sense that I don't think he's quite as scatty and PPR ish as kind of James White is. What Keyshawn Vaughn does that Ronald Jones especially does not do. Keyshawn Vaughn in this class got rated as like the number three pass blocking running back in this class. And if you want to keep Brady up, and there are a lot of games last year where Arians, you know, would he go back and forth between Barber and Jones because one of them would miss pass protection more often than not. It was fucking Ronald Jones. So Keyshawn Vaughn can pass block, or at least he's proven to be able to pass block. And he can handle the early down, early down backs. And he's an okay pass catcher. So I don't know if he's the PPR guy, because later they de- drafted uh, Raymond Calais at a UL. And, you know, that, uh, Arians was asked, you know, kind of, you know, he, that he would like to go to a run down, uh, a one running back. But he looked at Calais as like a, like a, a, a James, uh, Dave, David Johnson light. The problem is, is by light, like I think he weighs like 175 pounds. So like he's really light. So he's not going to be your three down guy, but he could be like a PPR, like a third down back. But the problem is that they drafted Vaughn because of, I think of his abilities. And I, I think Vaughn is getting, he's either getting really, really inflated by the industry or really, really shot down because they weren't like, wanting that they, you know they wanted jonathan taylor or clyde edwards or lair or swift or somebody there so they're shitting on vaughn and i think we were both much higher on vaughn coming into it because we saw it firsthand against lsu and like he is a very capable back and then you add on these things that a normal fan that, that myself included that when you watch the game you don't consider but how quality of a pass blocker he is and the other things that he does so i i agree with you that in the sense that he could evolve in that third down back. I don't think there's any hurdle to fucking beat with Ronald Jones because Ronald Jones cannot catch, he cannot fucking block, and he can barely run. So I don't actually understand why he's in the NFL. So between Vaughn and Calais, I don't understand why Rojo is even going to have a fucking breath to breathe. Like, this is one that, you know, I talked about the philosophy with, like, hey, do you wait for these guys till week six, week eight to take over? Like, Vaughn could take over immediately. It may not matter because you have, you know, Gronk, O.J. Howard, Godwin, and Evans. Like, the volume may not be there for him immediately, which should only free up. Like, when is that motherfucker going to see ever eight in the box? Ever. Like, it should be a field day. So, I'm high on Vaughn a redraft. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in Dynasty. You under, obviously are concerned about where they go with quarterback because you don't have that long term with some of these other running backs. You know, a lot of the running backs are landed in situations with young quarterbacks. So you got Brady for two years, three years, maybe who knows if Arians even makes it that longer stops after Brady leaves, you know, cause he had to come out of retirement for this. So it is interesting. They also drafted uh, Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota. You know, a lot of industry guys are saying that he should immediately compete for the slot role. The problem is, is one of the best slot receivers that Chris Godwin's there right now. So it's going to be – if they put Johnson in the slot and Godwin outside, he could have some immediate value. I don't necessarily think that is going to be where they go with it, but there could be a fit, and he could have a little bit of PPR value early as, you know, 
maybe like Hunter Renfro-esque, if you will. You know, if he gets that role, you know, that's where he he could fit. But between the tight ends and the receivers and the running backs, I don't know if there's another mouth to feed in there. But long-term, he could have something because, you know, Mike Evans leaves in a couple of years, you know, maybe he shifts out. You know, he Godwin shifts out. Yeah, I mean, I do agree with you what you're saying about Tyler Johnson, but I do disagree with you on Keyshawn Vaughn. I think Keyshawn Vaughn can be a three-down back. Um, I and I know Brady loves to dump off to his running backs, and I think Keyshawn Vaughn does have a really good PPR appeal, and I do think he is going to be uh, one of the top rookie running backs this season because I think he landed in a very good situation with a potential high-powered offense. I mean, Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, you know, he rushed for 1,200 yards and caught uh, 28 passes last year, so he can catch the ball off the backfield. And I, like I said, I'm high on him. Uh, I'm probably a little bit higher on others, and that's okay. That's, well, that's kind of why you know we're doing this. Nobody landed in a better spot because even Clyde was a layer. Until they cut Damian Williams, Keyshawn Vaughn is completing with fucking Ronald Jones. Like, there is no better spot for a better upside and better who knows what's about to happen type of situation. Like, the hype is going to be real on Tampa. Everybody's going to get inflated. And the problem is, is like four out of the, you know, three out of the five bubbles are going to pop. Who pops? I don't know. Based off of where they go, you know, they're, I think they're all going to get value. It's a matter of where you're going to put them. But I agree amongst the rookies right now. I mean, I would argue that he has more value than a layer long as Damian Williams is on the team. To me, even if Damian Williams is on the team, I still think Clyde Edwards-Dealer has more value than Damian Williams. Not, and not, not if, fucking... not if Vaughn becomes a three-down running back. If I think, I think Clyde Edwards-Dealer is going to be a three-down running back. I don't, I don't. If Damian Williams is on the team, I don't think he is. I don't think Damian Williams is going to be in the team. But I think that they're. Uh, I, I, I don't think. I think Vaughn has a much clearer path and could have as good of an offense. You're not taking a running back in the first round to play him behind Damian Williams. We'll see. Uh, that's all I'll say. But hey, I do know this next team, and I knew where this running back stands uh, for the Tennessee Titans. They took uh, Darrington Evans, running back at App State. To me, this is a perfect replacement for Deion Lewis, someone who can definitely catch the ball at the backfield. And you know he'll he'll be in there to spell you know Derrick Henry on some third downs, maybe get a couple carries here and there, but. Um, he's definitely got some good potential. Um, really depends on, you know, Henry's workload, which I expect to be massive. Um, but Darrington Evans probably has some late uh, PPR appeal. Um, I don't know how high I would be on him in Dynasty just because I know that Derrick Henry is there right now and Evans doesn't really have uh, a very big workload immediately. It could take a couple years for him to really have uh, a workload. You know, if Henry is last that long or if he ends up staying in Tennessee. Um, I just don't think he's he's someone I would be targeting in uh, dynasty leagues unless it was probably third, maybe fourth round. Yeah, Darrington is a like a two-faced coin flip right now because you don't know if you're going to win or get shot in the face because Derrick Henry's on a franchise tag this year and based off of history, if you get as much volume as he's getting, you're due to get hurt soon. So he could pay immediate dividends right now. He could be the best. He may be one of the best handcuffs in the league other than Kareem Hunt. But if Henry stays healthy and then Henry resigns, what the fuck is the point of owning Darrington Evans? Because we saw what 
Deion Lewis's value is. And I'm sure they want to spell Derrick Henry some, but I don't think anybody wants to spell. Everybody sees that the more volume you give Derrick Henry, the better he gets. So you're not going to want to take that away other than giving him breaks into the right times and maybe some down and distance situations. So I don't think that there is any immediate gain other than if Derrick Henry goes down, he is the guy. And you can roll the dice on a dynasty and you could take him. But if Derrick Henry resigns for three years, then why do you even want him? And right. So, you know, I think the most important signing was the cornerback out of LSU, Christian Fulton, landing <laughs> at the Titans. I was that's going to have the most fantasy impact in practice watching Christian Fulton get out of the way of fucking Derrick Henry. So, <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, that'll be Christian Fulton versus AJ Brown on, on a regular basis. So they'll they'll get some good practice against one another. AJ Brown won't catch a ball. That's a shame. <laughs> We'll see about that, man. He's he's a freaking age here. But going on to our last team, who made a couple of interesting draft picks in the middle rounds, uh, Washington Redskins. They end up taking Antonio Gibson, and then uh, out of Memphis, and then they go take. Uh, you know, I know someone who you're pretty high on. That's Anthony Gandy Golden out of Liberty, six four two twenty three. I know you're high on both these receivers. I'm not as much as high on this offense just because I'm not really crazy about Dwayne Haskins. Um, but, you know, someone has to catch the football outside of Terry McLaurin. You know, they've got, uh, you know, people injured all over the field, uh, whether it's Darius Geis, Adrian Peterson's like 35 years old at this point. So someone outside of Terry McLaurin needs to catch a football. And I think both of these guys could offer some um, immediate impact I mean, they're, they're not going to be someone you're starting regularly on fantasy teams, but it could be someone that could be like a bi-week fill-in who might have a good matchup and you throw one of these guys in. Um, but like I said, I, I know Vincent has some really high uh, hopes on Gandy Golden. He certainly flashed a lot of talent at Liberty. Don't get me wrong, you know, he's playing against some Division One uh, AA talent, but he's a big boy, you know, 6'4", 223, so he's a big body and so, so can certainly catch some balls on the outside and go up and get it, so... It'll be interesting to see what that offense, you know, has to offer with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. Will Darius Geis, you know, be healthy enough to kind of pick up some workload off Adrian Peterson and eventually take over as the number one running back in Washington? It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, uh, Gibson's almost like one of those gimmick picks, you know. He's somehow going to be, you know, Jameson Crowder and Chris Thompson all at the same time. Like, he's just – he's going to be a little bit in the slot. He's a little bit PPR – you know, he's going to be, you know, a lot of, I'm sure, reverses and fake reverses and throwbacks and swings and, you know, quick passes and stuff like that. I mean, a kid can fly, and he can bust one anytime. So, you know, from a explosion standpoint, it's fine. And then I was big on um, Gandy Golden. I was hoping he would go somewhere like Philadelphia, you know, and lit- literally just like cut Alshon today and put him in that spot, you know, put him opposite of uh, Rager, keep Deshaun with the tight ends and just, it would be a perfect fit. Theoretically, it is a perfect fit. And like everything you just said, all the targets are available. The problem is this fucking Haskins is throwing it. And, you know, <laughs> I, hopefully Ron Vera and whomever that, I don't know who he has coming as a coordinator and quarterback coach. Hopefully they get him right. Cause I have about zero faith in him. I'm high on him in dynasty because I think the talent is real. I think the ability is real. I'm really high on the kid. I just – I wish that – I literally, if I could trade him with any wide receiver landing spot, I would 
absolutely just do the trade. I'd be freaking to the moon with the kid. So tough spot, but when it's all said and done, at least the Redskins drafted Sadiq Charles from LSU to open up the running game for my boy Darius Geis from LSU with the other 17 running backs that the Redskins have right now. And Washington's going to be the worst offense in the league. It's fucking atrocious, and I don't want a piece of it. But they got two LSU guys at least. Maybe I'm missing one. So I'm with them. And, yeah, Gandy Golden, late fourth round. He falls to me. I'm all in. He could be one of these receivers could end up being some some serious garbage time production, but yeah, as far as being competitive, I'm, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think Washington's going to end up being probably the number one pick next year, maybe vying with the Patriots uh, for maybe someone like Trevor Lawrence. Oh, because put Trevor Lawrence with some of these guys, and then after a year of Rivera changing the culture, that's a game changer. Yeah, that would be very interesting to see what happens. So. But, hey, guys, that's uh, all the time we have tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, our full draft breakdown of every NFL team uh, for the NFL draft. Other than that, we will be back with you on Monday night where we're going to re-rank our rookies and slide them in. And we're going to go through uh, our quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers and kind of see where our rookies slide in these rankings. Um, So I hope you guys uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Fantasy Pandemic. Other than that, I hope you guys have a good night. Thanks for listening. Remember, knowledge is power.